Hello, and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to begin our look at the book of Romans, chapter 12. So what we're going to look at today are verses 1 and 2, my Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible subtitles this specific section, Living Sacrifices to God. I personally love these two verses because Paul, in two verses, sums up exactly what we're called to be in our Christian life. That is, living sacrifices to God, putting off the old ways, putting off the ways of the world, the flesh, and the devil, picking up your cross, and walking in the Spirit of God. There is no more rewarding life. I don't care what this world thinks it can offer us. There is nothing more rewarding than being a living sacrifice to God himself. And in order to know what that is, again, we're going to look at Romans chapters 1 and 2. And then we're going to flip around a little bit in the New Testament. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in Hebrews. We'll be in Galatians, 1 John then we'll finish up in the book of Ephesians. Again, all all letters written by Paul, except for 1 John, and for good reason. Paul was the apostle. He was the one who was basically an absolute expert on the law of Moses, on the religious Jewish law, chosen perfectly by Jesus Christ himself, by God himself, knocked off his horse on the Damascus Road, blinded temporarily, and then Jesus Christ revealed himself. Jesus filled him with the Holy Spirit and then used all that life experience Paul had for the glory of God himself to teach timeless lessons to the Christian church. Paul wrote these letters. Paul wrote this letter in 56 AD, yet we can read through this letter and still apply all of it to our modern day lives. The reason is because although technology changes and the world changes all around us, the human heart and who we are as human beings remains the same and will always remain the same. Although it's a very dark time and times just keep getting darker, there's really nothing new under the sun. People think that, you know, the sexual morality, for example, these days is any worse or it's worse than it's ever been. I've heard people say that, people preach that. It, it's not. <laughs> back in the days of, um, back in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, back in that town of Corinth, there, there were, there was such sexual immorality, I mean... It, it it made it was basically you can describe it as Las Vegas on steroids. So I'm not here to glorify sin by any means, nor am I here to glorify any type of um, sexual morality. But my point is that there's nothing new in the human heart that hasn't already been there before. There may be new ways to access the evil and the sin and the sickness that the world has to offer the flesh from their father Satan the devil himself that's why the world the flesh and the devil are three in one if you will and I always mention them together because they're a very evil um, 
it's a very um, anti-Christ type of triune false system used in the satanic realm to drag down human beings it's deceiving it will appeal to your very senses and it's something that we must guard ourselves from every day by putting on the whole armor of God as outlined in Ephesians 6 the helmet of salvation the breastplate of the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself the truth of God himself girded around tied around our waist the gospel of peace the sandals of peace that are the gospel of Jesus Christ that we take out into the world we pick up our shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the evil one and then we pick up the sword of the spirit the living word of God the truth of God that cuts through all the lies the world the flesh and the devil have to offer so again in this episode specifically we're going to look at Romans chapters chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 and then we're going to flip around a little bit in the New Testament so without any further ado let's take our look at Romans chapter 12 okay and like I said we're going to start off we're going to look at Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 and then we'll read through it look at the notes and then we'll go from there my Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible, subtitles this section, Living Sacrifices to God. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? So looking at the um, word wealth in my spirit-filled life, New King James Version Bible, for that word conformed, used in verse 2 of chapter 12, it says, it is the word suskaimatizoi. Suskaimatizoi. Quite a mouthful there. Moving on. <laughs> Compare scheme and schematic. Refers to conforming oneself to the outer fashion or outward appearance. Accommodating oneself to a model or a pattern. Conformed occurs elsewhere in the New Testament only in 1 Peter 1.14 where it describes those conforming themselves to worldly lusts. Even apparent or superficial conformity to the present world system or any accommodation to its ways would be fatal to the Christian life. Amen. And then looking at the note here for that section, it says, Therefore, in the light of the great plan of salvation outlined in chapters 1 through 11 of Romans, particularly all the mercies, that is, benefits it brings to us as Christians, let us respond appropriately. A living sacrifice. Since Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, are the new people of God, the new Israel, then should we not offer sacrifices to God, just as the Old Testament Jews did? Yes, but not animal sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. Rather, we should offer our bodies, all that we are, as living sacrifices each day to God. The Greek word translated service 
is used to refer to ceremonies of Jewish temple worship in chapter 9, verse 4, and Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 and 6. The word translated reasonable can mean pertaining to reason. As such, it suggests that a rational response to God's mercies is to commit ourselves in an act of worship. The word may also be understood as spiritual. See 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, where it is translated pure. As such, our act of consecration is a supreme form of religious service, physical in that our bodies are presented in worship, rational in that our reasoning is responsive to his truth, emotional in that his mercies are perceived and awaken our sensitivities to his loving kindness, and spiritual in that this is all the fruit of his spirits reviving and renewing ours. World is literally age, referring to a godless system. We are not to accept the pattern of an age whose God is the devil. On the contrary, we are to be transformed by a renewed mind committing to the ideals of the kingdom of God. Prove means to test and to prove by practice in everyday life that God's will for us is good and acceptable and perfect. All right. So I, the last uh, part of verse two there where it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So again, we need to take a shift in our perspective in order to avoid falling into sin to begin with. So for example, changing how you think about certain things will help you avoid falling into those pitfalls in the future. So when it comes to um, sexual immorality, for example, when you shift your perspective and understand from a Christian perspective that essentially outside of your spouse, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ and children of God, then it really should convict you next time you may be tempted to lust after uh, a woman, for example, or someone or, uh, you know, opposite sex. It should it should strike you and make you think and and the renewing of our mind. It comes through a spiritual renewal, but it also comes through a, a physical change in how we perceive and think about things. Um, you know, life experience is a great teacher. It really, you know, sometimes you can be, you can have things said to you and taught, but sometimes you need to experience things as well to really grasp and understand why it's important to do or not do certain things as well. So I'll just leave it there for now, but it's very important that we keep in mind that Changing our perspective is essential in really grasping and understanding um, how wrong sin is to God and how offensive it is. There's good reason behind everything God commands us to do and not do. And one of the best ways to understand God's ways and who he is is by getting into his word. Because when you see the consistency of God throughout his word, 
end when you see how everything ties in together. One of my one of the, one of the things I missed when I was looking at the um, the law of Moses in Exodus was really having the opportunity to kind of jump around and look at the different aspects and angles of different verses like we're going to do right here in today's study. This is what I really enjoy doing in this podcast and Bible study is really looking at different verses that tie into exactly what we're focusing on for that episode. Because again, not only does it expand on exactly what is said in those um, origin verses, if you will, and those base foundational verses we're looking at in that particular episode, but it also shows different angles and gives us different understanding and ties in why God says everything he says, why he commands us to do certain things. And it's very um, eye-opening and it opens your mind and spiritual eyes and ears and and your heart to really understand and grasp these things. And that leads to a change in life which leads to a renewal of the mind and spirit, allowing us to live a life as a living sacrifice to God. So before we move on there, we are going to look quickly at the truth and action section for this particular passage. And again, these are just sections at the end of my spirit filled life, New King James Version Bible that kind of, they give the truth of what's being said in this specific chapter and then how to put that truth into action in our lives. So Quickly looking here, this is called Steps to Dynamic Devotion. The Word of God illuminated by the Holy Spirit is the only true means for transforming the human heart. Salvation by faith is a specific occasion, while the renewing of the mind by the Word is a continuing process. The disciple devotes himself to God's Word to be transformed into a holy person. Radiantly, Christ-like, or excuse yes, and radically different from the world. Spiritual disciples devour God's word because it is the key to a more dynamic relationship with their living Lord and a greater availability to the Holy Spirit. And then looking at the action section here, it says, let God's word and his Holy Spirit radically transform your way of thinking. Renew your mind to know and do the will of God, giving your body a living sacrifice. So again, I mean, people walk around and they wonder, well, what's the will of God for my life? What is, you know, what's my purpose? You know, well, if you open your Bible and read the Bible, you'll see exactly what the will of God is. It's not a big mystery. It's nothing that you have to, you know, wait and fast and pray and do all that. No, God reveals himself throughout his word for a very good reason. And God's will is pretty simple in a certain respect to know. God, start with the Ten Commandments. That's God's will. Then look into some of the law. That's God's will. I would encourage you, after you look at the Ten Commandments, jump up into the book of Matthew and read the book of Matthew. The amazing story about Jesus' life, Matthew's encounter, I should say, of Jesus' life, and Jesus gives a Sermon on the Mount there that goes through every area of life that you could possibly encounter almost. And um, I did, I went through very thoroughly and went through the entire um, Sermon on the Mount back um, in, in season two, from, at the end of season two and up to conclusion. And that was one of the most blessed times I had doing this Bible study because just seeing the Lord 
preaching on every area of life was absolutely incredible. And then digging into each part of it was really fun. And that's why I'm really happy to be doing this study of Romans 12, because again, I love to jump around in the in the Bible and see how everything connects. It really, when you, you know, I kind of picture it like, if you've ever seen, I'm sure, you know, we've all seen movies where there's a detective, you know, looking for something and um, he might have like some kind of like, uh, you know, thumb board or some kind of, uh, some kind of, um, you know, uh, a big uh, brown board where you can tack different news articles on and, you know, they might have different strings going and connecting all these things, trying to figure something out. Well, that's what we're doing when it comes to, you know, trying to know the Lord and who he is. And, God's word is amazing. It's unique. And, you know, like the passage that we re- we just read said, um, it's really about getting into his word and, and having a constant renewal and refreshment. You know, like I said a little while ago, like God gave me a vision of, you know, although you can live, for example, at the edge of a stream, you know, every time you go down to that stream to get water, there's new water flowing through. Although it's the same stream, you're at the same place. It's the same book. You're reading the same words. There's constant renewal there. That's the, it's the, it's the living water of God. It's, it's the water in which you will never thirst because there's constant renewal and refreshment in that river of life that God gives us in his living word. People that don't believe will have no idea what I'm even talking about, but we all know the different seasons in life, the different times in life that we're in. This living word speaks to us in ways that nothing else can. And the reason is because when we're full of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is engaged in our lives and we're seeking God, he answers us and responds and usually shows us his ways directly through his word. So don't ever take that for granted. God is good. He loves us. He wants to reveal himself to us and he does in many ways. But he gave us his divine inspired word for a very good reason, to get into it and to understand it. So, you know, to understand him, I should say. So, you know, there's really no excuse, to be honest with you. If you don't know the will of God, start by opening up your Bible, you know, find a good church to go to that has good, sound, biblical teaching directly from the word not opinionated, not not political, a, a solid teaching of the word of God. I found that years ago and I have grown exponentially, thank God, to the point of where I can do this little Bible study and uh, enjoy myself. So what we're going to do next, looking again, we looked at Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Now addressing verse 1, we're going to flip up the 2 Corinthians We're going to be in chapter 10 and look at verses 1 through 6, where my spirit-filled life, New King James Version Bible, subtitles this section, The Spiritual War. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence with which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience with your obedience, excuse me, when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's look at the notes here for that section, and then we will go from there. Paul's tone changes dramatically as he returns to the subject of the challenges of his authority in Corinth. He answers a number of criticisms made against him and rebukes the impure motives of those who seek to undermine his ministry in order to win personal followings. Paul felt joy and encouragement over the response of the majority of the church. But he has stern words of warning to the minority, which may still be in rebellion and under the sway of the intruding false apostles. Paul's critics accuse him of being too lowly, timid, to be a real apostle, although they admit that he writes bold letters. Walk in the flesh. Paul admits he is a mortal, living in the realities of the present world, but he does not war that is, fight with mere human weapons. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. See Ephesians 6, chapter 12. Excuse me. See Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore, carnal, that is, weak worldly weapons, will not do. We need weapons that are God-empowered, mighty in God. Their purpose is for pulling down, that is, demolishing strongholds, anything opposing God's will. Here, Paul refers specifically to warfare in the mind against arrogant, rebellious ideas and attitudes, which he terms arguments, and against every high thing, pride, opposed to the true knowledge of God. The aim is to bring every disobedient thought into obedience to Christ. Paul is ready to punish the rebels who continue to refuse to repent. First, he must be assured of the obedience of the congregation as a whole. That word obedience there is hupakoe. It means from hupo, under, and akoo, to hear. The word signifies attentive hearing, to listen with compliant submission, assent, and agreement. It is used for obedience in general for obedience to God's commands, and for Christ's obedience. So, again, Paul there is just going through and just basically rebuking the false teachers and the apostates in the Church of Corinth at the time. You know, they're all over, that's kind of what I opened up with, they're all over the place, um, even to this very day. There's always going to be false teachers and preachers out there. And as soon as the only way you avoid falling into false teaching is to know the word of God yourself. There's really no secret behind this stuff. There's nothing mysterious about saying, read your Bible and know the word. You know, people want to make God out to be more complicated than he is. Frankly, that's nothing but a lie from hell to keep you from knowing the Lord. Uh, we can all read, thankfully, for the most part, most of us. And if you can't, 
If you're blind, for example, Bibles are made in Braille. There's a guy in my church. He's worn out two Bibles already because he's read his Braille Bible so much. It's absolutely incredible. It's motivating. He puts most people that can see to shame with the knowledge this guy has. I, I actually, to be honest with you, during our um, Bible studies that I go to at church and during our Wednesday night evening services that are a little more casual, He's always the one who has all the answers to the questions the pastor asks. I didn't even know the guy was who he was until my pastor recently pointed him out, just giving him some props, basically, from the pulpit. Because, again, <laughs> you know, we that's the thing. It, it kind of blows my mind that, you know, we may have all of our senses, all five senses, most of us, but someone who doesn't have one of the senses you know, knows the Lord and knows his word better than most that do. It just blows my mind, you know, and that's one reason he motivates me. He makes me want to get into the word more. This has nothing to do with works. This has nothing to do with trying to earn anything. It's just my hunger to know the Lord and my hunger for spiritual food, because I know <laughs> God knows I have plenty of physical hunger throughout the day. But, you know, there's also a very real spiritual hunger I have because it's amazing how when you start to feed your spirit with the word of God as we're commanded to, then amazingly, guess what? We start to really get um, an appetite for that word on a daily basis. And you really can't, um, you can't beat that. You know, you really can't. It's uh, this, this living word is called the living word for a reason. It is alive. And when you really start to grasp and understand what God's saying and the Again, consistency, the beauty of, of just all of the, the words in his living word and the concepts, the teachings, the fundamental principles of life, the amazing wisdom that's contained throughout this amazing living word. And when, again, you pick up this word, it's part of the armor of God that we are commanded to daily put on so that we can engage in again. Like Paul says, he doesn't fight flesh and blood. He's not fighting physical wars. You better believe he fights a lot of spiritual wars. And that spiritual warfare that we're all called to engage in. And the only way to win that war is to put on the armor of God and let God do the work. We're just there. We are his um, servants. We are his slaves. And we are there to... Listen and say, yes, Lord. So let's flip up. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 1 through 22. My Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible subtitles these sections. Well, this section that we're going to start in, Animal Sacrifices Insufficient. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect for then would they not have ceased to be offered for the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins Let's look at the notes here for that section, then we'll move on. If the Levitical sacrifices had made the worshipers perfect, there would have been no need for the yearly repetition. 
This constant repetition only serves to remind the worshipers of their sins instead of removing them from their conscience. Animal sacrifices cannot take away the guilt of sin. All right. So moving on, this next section is subtitled. We're looking at Rome, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10 verses 5 through 10 next. Christ's death fulfills God's will. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. <clears throat> Excuse me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all? Yes. Looking at the notes for that section, it says, Though ordained by God, the sacrifices and offerings were unsatisfactory because they were merely shadows and symbols. God willed that they should be fulfilled in the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. So again, that's our foundational truth to the fact that Jesus Christ died as our substitute lamb once and for all for the sins of the world, my sins, your sins, and the sins of the world, all who come to him. But that's God's requirement. And again, we just finished up uh, the look at, you know, the beginning look at the law in Exodus. And um, that's kind of what brings us up to Romans. But um, again, Paul is really laying it out here and basically saying that although those sacrifices were required by God, they were never intended, they, they were sufficient but for forgiveness, but they were not ever meant to cleanse and break the chains of sin because the law, again, it simply exposed sin. It basically foreshadowed and was a symbolic gesture of what was ultimately to come. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to be our sacrificial lamb on that cross for our sins. But the amazing thing about the Lord and the difference, again, between Jesus being the final sacrifice and those other animal sacrifices simply being there to um, basically be symbolic of their repentance of sin is Jesus can break the chains of sin in our life. He fulfills the law, so he breaks those chains. We are not subject to living in sin anymore. It's an amazingly deep spiritual truth, but it's very real, something that I and many people live. I'm not saying I'm sin-free, far from perfect, but I will say God has broken chains of bondage and sin in my and many other lives just by us simply saying, Lord, I can't do this. Please help me. And he does. He does <laughs> miraculous works within us that only he can do in his time in his ways, through the renewing of our mind, the renewing of our spirit, 
so that we can be his living sacrifices. So <clears throat> this next section here we're going to look at is Hebrews 10 verses 11 through 18. My Spirit for Life, New King James Version Bible subtitles this section, Christ's death perfects the sanctified. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Pretty amazing stuff. So let's look at the verse, the notes for that section, and then we'll uh, move on from there. The writer contrasts the Old Testament priest continuously offering ineffective sacrifices with Christ. Having finished his new covenant work on Calvary, Christ sat down on high to await the manifestation of his triumph over all his enemies. In addition to the one offering of Christ bringing assurance of salvation, the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us through Jeremiah that God will work in us to produce new desires to do his will. Furthermore, whereas the old covenant could only bring a reminder of sins, the new covenant brings real forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. So next we're going to finish up here with verses 19 through 22 of Hebrews chapter 10, subtitled, Hold Fast Your Confession. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience to, and our bodies washed with pure water. Looking at the notes here for that section, it says, Confidence to enter God's presence is founded on the blood of Jesus and his high priestly ministry. Worship from a true heart, that is, with complete sincerity of purpose, must be based on an assurance of the justifying power of the blood of Christ and the sanctifying cleansing of the word of God. Amen. So quickly looking at that, we're, what we're talking about and what this is saying is, again, giving a true heart, having a true heart, having every area of your life submitted to the Lord so that he can truly forgive. And once you have every, your conscience is clean, if you will, that's when God can come in 
and you can have full assurance and have full sincerity of purpose and the justification that the blood of Christ is all you need. That's it. There's nothing more you can do. God fulfilled all he wanted fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's by faith, simply by faith, that we must accept it. And once we do, amazingly, that's when God can work through us. Again, he equips us with everything we're ever going to need to fulfill any purposes he has for our lives. So there should be no fear, no hesitation, nothing. Because when it comes down to it, faith in the Lord is the very basis, the foundation. He's the rock upon which we build everything else on. Just like Jesus mentions at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when you build your house on sand, the wind, the storms of life come and they blow that house over. But when you build your house on the rock of salvation, that is the rock of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the storms can come, they will come. They will batter the house, but that house will stand because it's not you who does anything, but it's the rock, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who we have built our life on, his truth, and we know that truth through his word that brings us to new heights and new parts of life. That's why we should be thankful for trials and tribulations because he's always going to be there with us. He's always going to carry us through those storms. And then we're going to see new, deeper sides and dimensions to the God that we love and call our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So. Let's move back. We're going to be in Galatians next. We're going to be in chapter one. We're going to look at verses three through five, where it says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The notes for that section, this part, uh, chapter four, or excuse me, verse four in particular says, Paul summarizes the epistle by declaring the fact, the purpose, and the ground of redemption in Christ. Scripture divides history into two ages, this present evil age dominated by Satan and the age to come inaugurated by Jesus. Since the present age has not yet passed away, the two ages are currently running on parallel courses. Jesus came to rescue us from the dominion of the old age and to transfer us into life in the age to come. So that's another very deep spiritual mystery to me um, when it comes down to thinking and trying to wrap my mind around the parallel timelines that are currently um, at work. The best way you can describe it is the age, the satanic influence is this physical realm. And then the age to come is the spiritual realm in which our spirits dwell. Right now, we are seated at the right hand of the Father with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't understand how that works. It is biblical. Look at my, um, look at my, my uh, episode I did on dual citizenship a little while back, Heaven and Earth, and you'll see where it references, where he talks to Nicodemus and teaches him about it. Well, you know, when he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter three, 
Jesus that is, he says that the son is seated at the right hand of the father as he's right there physically on the earth. So that gives us a small glimpse into how that's possible. I think it's a spiritual reality again, but it's very mind bending. It's one of those things you just kind of sit and think about. And, um, you know, it's fun to discuss. It's definitely a fun topic to kick around, but it's definitely something that is a very um, hard thing to grasp in our, our, um, our minds because frankly, our physical minds are very limited right now, but um, someday they will be, you know, we'll understand when we get there, when we get to heaven. And I look forward to that. But until then, let's flip up and look at first John next. We're going to be in chapter two and we're going to look at verses 15 through 17. Again, this is all referring back to us being living sacrifices to God mentioned in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, my spirit filled life, new King James version Bible subtitles, this section, do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in this, in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Looking at the notes for that section, it says, The world does not refer to the physical creation, but to the sphere of evil operating in our world under the dominion of Satan. So again, it's um, it's interesting how, you know, People are consumed with the world, essentially. They're consumed with so much the world has to offer. That's why when it comes to Christianity, we have, there's no place in um, our lives to have anything to do with the world because the world is an evil, wicked place. And it, it, it's something that we are to have no part of. Um there's really no no room for any worldliness in a truly Christian life. Um, again, if there is, you're compromised, you're an apostate, you need to repent, and you need to read the Word of God, and you need to humble yourself. You need to have a meekness and a contrite spirit to really yield every area of your life to God, including your pride and your ego, and admit that God knows it all. He knows better than you ever will. He's he's wiser than any of us could ever be, wiser than every man and woman on this earth combined. So don't even, you know, waste your time trying to think you're going to um add your own little uh your own little hooks or or uh your own little additions to the gospel of Jesus Christ because he fulfilled it all and he tells us we cannot be friends with the world. You're going to be you're going to love one and hate the other. It's that simple. There's no in between. So looking at the uh, truth in action section at the end of first John quickly, it really addresses this entire idea and concept. This is the truth in action section at the end of first John. We're going to look at section two. Living in the world without partaking of the spirit of the world is the Christian's call. When the Spirit of God reveals to us the true spiritual poverty in which the world exists, it becomes easier to overcome 
the lures seeking to attract us back into that condition. When we understand the fullness of our inheritance in Christ, the world's offer seems poor indeed. When we truly set our affection on God, the lusts of the flesh are reduced as a problem. Unlike Lot's wife, who regretted the loss of the world, let us look ahead to the glorious hope of love, life, and light, where God rules eternally. Amen. And I love where it says there, again, this is all about the renewal of the mind. When the Spirit of God reveals to us the true spiritual poverty in which the world exists, it becomes easier to overcome the lures seeking to attract us back. That's a change in your mind. That's a renewal of your mind. Exactly what Paul's talking about when that's how we become living sacrifices to God. We, we have a shift in perspective. Those old things that we used to think brought us pleasure, we know they don't. We know they're empty. If they weren't empty, you wouldn't have to keep going back and doing them over and over. Just like the, the sacrifices of the religious Jews and according to the law, they were empty when it came to the for, when it came to the forgiveness of sin. They were recognition and repentance on the sinner's part, but they were empty when it came to actually having God forget those sins and and having true um, forgiveness. That they were two different things there. So, and then looking at the action section, it says, "Do not set your affections on or live." sacrificially on behalf of anything that one appeals to your fleshly appetite appetites two appeals to your covetousness or greed or three fosters pride or arrogance so again you know these are all things thoroughly discussed throughout the new testament by paul and in in the word itself um god addresses all these things over and over again because when it comes down to it Again, the condition of the heart really doesn't change. It's the same. It's always been the same. There's corruption, inherent corruption, inherent evil. And it it's our fallen state that we are born into. That's why we must be born again. We It's not good enough to be born of water once. We must be born again of the Spirit of God in order to obtain salvation and the forgiveness, the true forgiveness of sins. Thank God for his masterful, amazing plan that he put into place from Genesis 3, where he promises that the snake will, you know, that Satan will essentially bruise his heel, but his heel, Jesus's heel, will crush the head of Satan. And that's exactly what God did. He crushed the head of Satan when Jesus Christ died and then rose again and conquered death. That is where Christ crushed the head of Satan. He conquered death itself because Satan knows there's a time coming where he is going to be banished. He's going to be put into eternal torment along with all of the world and its system and those that choose to follow him. The saints of God, on the other hand, get to enjoy salvation, get to walk in the righteousness of Christ, and get all of the inheritance that Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, receives, we receive as well.
absolutely amazing stuff. But all right, we're going to finish up this look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look in verses 17 through 32. My Spirit Filled Life, New King James Version Bible subtitles this section in particular. We're going to start with verses 17 through 24, and it's subtitled, The New Man. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. So let's look at the notes for that section, and then we'll go from there. Again, looking at the notes for Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, it says, Five traits of a worldly walk are summed up in the word futility, emptiness, purposelessness, darkened understanding, alienation from God, ignorance of God's way, hardened heart, and an unfeeling state. The Greek word means to have ceased to care. So we see this all over the place. I mean, we see dead, spiritually dead people all throughout the world. That exactly sums up the emptiness of the world and the emptiness of the people in the world. You know, we look for love, we look for care, we look for all these things out in the world, and we're left empty for good reason, because it doesn't exist. Simply put, it doesn't exist. It's only found in Christ and his children and his people, true converts of Christ with a relationship to God. Not religious people, not people that call themselves one thing and act another way, not people that call themselves Christians and want to fit in with the world but true, genuine Christians who simply love the Lord, know that they can do nothing on their own, and fully give themselves to the Lord. That is when God works. And that is ha- that's where love and true renewal of the mind and body and spirit are found. So, picking up here, we're going to look at the notes for the next section here, and we will move on. This section asserts each believer's accountability to live in contrast with the surrounding culture, since the five traits of the worlding are no longer true of him. The old man, the new man, contrasts the old lifestyle dominated by the spirit of disobedience with the believer's newly created capacity for a lifestyle of obedience by the Holy Spirit's power. So, Let's look at the truth in action section quickly that addresses this particular passage at the end of Ephesians. We're going to look at the truth in action section two, where it says, let's see, 417, yep. 
A major facet of holiness is living a life separated from the world. Jesus stressed this by saying that although we live in the world, we are not to be of the world. Be careful to avoid and reject the world's way of thinking. Realize that thinking as the world does will unavoidably lead to sensuality and impurity. Amen. I could personally testify to the truth of that. Um, just today, I was having a discussion with some friends that aren't Christians. We were talking about a topic that, frankly, um, you know, they gave me some very worldly advice. And, um, you know, it was very um, hollow advice. It was very kind of um, shallow advice. But, you know, it was very, it was so contrary to exactly what the Word of God is. And it made really no sense because the, the Word of God is so contextually and intellectually proper that when you really live it and understand it, it makes total sense. And when you see the spiritual reasons behind why God tells us to live certain ways, then the ways of the world just seem foolish. And frankly, that's exactly how it sounded to me when I was receiving this, you know, just discussing this particular, this particular topic. But um, it was sad to hear the explanation that they were trying to give me for the, the particular topic. I'm not going to get into the details, but it was just, um, you know, Again, I, I love the people I was talking to. They're great people. They're friends of mine, but um, they're not Christian. And it was just very interesting to hear a perspective that um, – a worldly perspective, frankly, on something that I feel very strongly about and very – I hold very deeply as true and a very good way to live your life, especially at this point in my life at 42 years old. But, um, yeah, it, it was very um, – again, they're – their ways would have led to sensuality and, and lust essentially. And, um, I just completely disagreed respectfully, obviously. And, um, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, very wise there. And that is why we are called to be living sacrifices and we are set apart from the world. Um, again, I wouldn't encourage people to hang out with people that aren't Christians. I personally, I, these are friends of mine from a, for a long time that, um, you know, I have limited time with them and, and I spend with them, um, these days, but you know, it's the 4th of July. We were just hanging out and talking and, um, you know, I was just telling them about, uh, just my life and just catching up and, um, you know, we conversations always branch into other things, but you know, if I didn't have such a solid foundation in the word of God, who knows, Satan could have taken that conversation and kind of turned it in different directions, but knowing the word, knowing God, knowing his ways. It was pretty easy to just blow off their advice and say, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to do it God's way. Amen. It's that simple. So, all right, we're going to finish up in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. My Spirit Filled Life, New King James Version Bible subtitles this section, Do Not Grieve the Spirit. Therefore, putting away lying, that each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's look at the notes for that section. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32, and then we will wrap this up. So, it says, Being angry may win a moment, but it is not to be allowed to win a day. The Greek word for place, tapos, emphasizes that believers can actually give ground in their lives to satanic control. This is a warning against theologicized suppositions that argue against the possibility that demonic, vexing, or oppression may succeed with Christians. But the surrounding commands balance the issue, making clear that responsible believers cannot glibly blame the devil for sin they yield to in carnal disobedience. Note that the first motive to, for a believer to earn money is that he may have something to give. The occupational enterprise of Christians is not simply to make a living, but to make possible their being instruments of God's service to mankind through their work and giving. Corrupt is literally decayed, rotten, as used for spoiled meat, rotted fruit, or crumbled stones. The Holy Spirit has sealed and dwells in the inner man. If he is grieved, the believer will be the first to know. Grieve means to cause injury or distress. The precious feeling the believer senses, or excuse me, the precise feeling the believer senses when sin or disobedience find its place. Jesus taught the duty of forgiving, even as God and showed it to be fundamental to having one's own prayers for forgiveness answered. Jesus addresses that again in Matthew in the um, Sermon on the Mount. But it's interesting there, and it's very true, where, you know, we are called, we know when we grieve the Holy Spirit. We know when we sin. We know when we do something wrong. That's a good thing. That's our consciousness being raised and aware that we have done something wrong and we need to repent of it. The worst thing you can do is run from that and then try to bury that and continue on in a sinful way. The last thing you want to do is grieve the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's not going anywhere. He lives inside of you. So he is going to convict you and convict you and convict you until you finally yield to him. And you repent and you sin no more, as we're commanded to do, as Jesus commanded many, many followers. So there is no place, nowhere in our lives are we called to be partakers of sin. And when we do sin, again, we know it. We know it in our hearts. We know that the Lord, you know, we, we're not naive. We're, we're, not, we're not nearly as stupid as the world wants to make us out to be. We're still human beings. <clears throat> excuse me, and we still know right or wrong, you may not be engaged in gross sin per se, as in, you know, some adultery or fornication or murder or something like that. But even when 
you know, you treat somebody poorly or you have an outburst of wrath or anger. You know, there are things that we are to avoid. And when we do partake in them, we are to repent and ask for forgiveness from whoever that was, you know, uh, subject. We subjected that to. So let's look at the um, quickly look at the uh, truth in action section here at the end of Ephesians that addresses some of these uh, ideas and notes that are discussed here. Again, this is these are all verses that relate to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And this is directly relating to being the new man. You know, uh, we're called to be living sacrifices. We are new creations in Christ. And we are called to, you know, we are created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we must, we are called to be different. We are called to be representatives of Jesus Christ himself. And that takes some effort on our part. Again, you can't earn anything from God, but... You know, we can change our ways and renew our minds and change our ways of thinking and how we react to things. And if we do commit those sins and react poorly or whatever it may be, it's on us to go and repent and and pray and ask for forgiveness. That's the difference between the old man who would just go his way and forget about it and the new man. That says a lot. That says that's a big witness and testimony to a changed heart and a changed person so looking at the notes here for that section in particular it says diligently practice honesty and truthfulness in all your relationships deal with anger quickly not allowing it to influence your treatment of others so again it's very important that if we do offend or you know say something or whatever it may be it's important that if it happens that we repent and ask for forgiveness because it is a very humbling experience. I do it myself and, you know, we're called to, to be humble. We're called to be meek. We're called to uh, have a contrite spirit. And that all comes along with admitting when you're wrong and asking for forgiveness from others. It doesn't matter if the other person is a Christian or not. That doesn't mean anything. Frankly, if they're a Christian, then they'll understand. But if they're not, they might just think you're some kind of jerk that is whatever. But when you go and repent and you ask for their forgiveness, that kind of sticks out in people's minds. And it says, I don't know what's up with that person, but they're a little different than most people. And, you know, maybe that initial encounter or whatever it was, you know, maybe that can turn into a friendship. And then who knows where the Holy Spirit and the Lord can take that, you know, maybe you'll lead that person to Christ. I mean, amazingly, God works in all kinds of ways. So just, you know, be open to his spirit and how it moves. All right. Looking at some more notes here. Is, these are the truth and action sections at the end of Ephesians. Um, looking at the notes for this is section seven. It says selflessness is most concretely expressed in generosity. Think of how you can give rather than how you can get. Amen. And then how to tame the tongue. It's very important that as Christians, you know, we have proper speech, proper language, and that we're not just flipping off at the, you know, um, at, at anything that kind of touches a nerve in us, if you will. It's something we need to pray about, ask the Lord for, and like anything else, 
It's a very good request. He will honor it. So just give him time. Give yourself time and practice self-control. Proper speech is crucial to effective Christian living. Proverbs points out that life and death are in the power of the tongue. How important it is for us to realize that our speech can be spiritually motivated. Be careful how you speak and what you say. Reject evil attitudes and develop compassionate, forgiving attitudes towards others. Avoid and reject any impure or immoral speech or behavior. Be certain that it contradicts your profession of faith in Christ. Huh? Sorry about that. I'm looking at a, a note, actually, that doesn't relate to what we just read. Avoid and reject any impure or immoral speech or behavior. Be certain that it contradicts your profession of faith in Christ. All right. So what they're saying there, I just had to reread that, is, um, you know, anything that does um, is impure or is immoral or immoral speech or behavior and contradicts your profession of faith in Christ, then it must be avoided. It must be rejected by us because, again, we're representatives of Christ. So, all right, that's going to conclude our look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We flipped around. We were in 2 Corinthians, Hebrews, Galatians, 1 John, and we finished up in Ephesians. So next we're going to get into serving God with spiritual gifts in Romans 3 to 8. Until then, God bless and have a great day.